Welcome to the Sourcing Hero podcast produced by Una, a group purchasing organization that empowers sourcing heroes and Art of Procurement, the world's largest procurement podcast network. I'm your host, Kelly Barner. The goal of the Sourcing Hero podcast is to capture the epic stories of people who are rising up and beating the odds to create exceptional value within procurement directly from those heroes themselves. Today, my guest here on the Sourcing Hero podcast is Patrick Johnson. Patrick is the founder of DigiProcure, who provide a category management tool focused on streamlining the category management process. He has led many digital procurement transformations involving a wide array of systems, and he has witnessed firsthand the need for tools that adapt to each team's maturity and needs. So hello, Patrick. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Hello, Kelly. Thank you for having me. Now, I talked a little bit in the intro about the fact that you focus predominantly on processes, most specifically category management. But for people that don't know you, can you share a little bit more detail about your background and professional expertise? Yes, absolutely. So uh, I'm from a, a small town in Sweden called Karlstad, the Swedish woods. Um, and all the way from my studies, uh, I, I spent time in, in the UK when my my study buddies went to become consultants and bankers. I went to Bedford Build Center in England and spent some time there to get to know a business from the very bottom. Then I went to Philadelphia during the financial crisis and came back to, to Europe, uh, to Denmark. Never made it back to Sweden. Uh, and all in all, I spent about 15 years within procurement. The bulk of that uh, digital procurement uh, and uh, e-sour- you know, working with e-sourcing, contract management, really end-to-end digital procurement uh, processes. Um, so that's a little bit uh, on my professional background. The last three years I've been working as a procurement consultant. And in June last year, I decided to, uh, to go, uh, go for this uh, DigiProcure company. And I thought it was the right time to, to uh, attack this, this space. Absolutely. And one of the reasons that we had specifically connected around having this conversation is a white paper you've recently put out. And I think it's funny, anybody that happens to be listening in that works in procurement will instantly get this. Uh, But you talk about Stone Age procurement, right? There's always sort of this new and old tension in the field. So as we start moving into that and the, the positions and opinions you express in that paper, how do you define Stone Age procurement? Yeah, yeah, thank you for that. So when I came out of, of, of the industry, I felt you know that I had something that I wanted to share. Uh, and it actually took me quite a, a while to write that white paper um, in, in calendar time and to define it uh, because I really felt that you know there are these two two sides, you know, you have the progressive companies like Maersk that have, you know, a robot that creates e-auctions and that award and updates the product catalog. And you have those really progressive companies. And then you have kind of the rest of us, right? You don't have that much in between. Um, and, and I would define Stone Age procurement as, as you know, companies that 
but on a maturity level from one to four, where one being just purchasing product, uh, and and two being you know touching on strategic sourcing and doing sourcing uh, optimization projects, that you know we're there. We're on level one to two. Mm-hmm. Where we might might have tried to work with category lifecycle management and dabbled a little bit with with digital procurement, but but not much. Uh, so that's kind of how I would dis- define Stone Age uh, procurement. Well, the good thing about that, at least from from my perspective, listening to you explain it, is that it's not like, you know, the vast majority of organizations are as progressive as Maersk. And I agree with you, they're an amazing organization, what they've achieved. There are very few companies that have done what they've done. So it's not your typical curve where you have a very few laggards and a very few super advanced companies and everybody else is sort of in the middle. It sounds like most of us are relatively early on in that maturity curve, despite, truthfully, how much effort we have made to adopt digital and and improve our processes. Um, And yet you observe in the paper that many procurement organizations are currently in an adapt or die moment. And I think I agree, but I want to hear you talk about it a little bit more. What do you mean by this adapt or die moment? Yes, I, I guess it's, it's, of course, a provocative statement, right? It's, it's the, the idea is to make a provocative statement. Absolutely. Uh, you, you could have said the same thing uh, 10, 15 years ago, but I think it's more true today than, than any time before uh, that it is an adapt or die moment. You see... You know, the, the, the amount of startups within the digital procurement space is just absolutely exploding. Uh, if you go to, to LinkedIn and, and look at, every, you know, podcasts for that matter, everything going on in the space is massive. And and you have this, um, you know, low code, no code platforms, uh, and it's easier to configure and code. And and um, many, many people can, you know, you can create a startup, uh, start uh, a SaaS platform, relatively easy uh, maybe compared to to earlier so so there's a, a lot going on in the digital procurement space you have all these books being written and and some some companies are starting to jump on that and adapting it you know our robot process automation or whatever it is they're starting with so some companies are getting on the bad bandwagon and adapting it and and some are not and they, they might not necessarily die tomorrow the ones they're not but um but they will uh, potentially lagger compared to, yeah. to the ones that are jumping on, right? It's so interesting that you bring up the explosion of investment and in, in innovation and in, in procurement tech. This has been coming up in more and more of my conversations. So I agree with you. It's, it's funny. You know, we think about the adapt or die moment from a practitioner or a thought leader or consultant type of perspective. But clearly, it's not just people in procurement that have noticed. Now it may look slightly different to people outside, you know, building these solutions and and sort of looking in. Clearly they see an opportunity. But however you put it, the general awareness around this adapt or die seems to be universal. Everyone seems to have noticed that we're in a very important moment right now. Do you also find that different types of awareness, but this recognition that we're in a really big moment is something that people share with you. Do you find this is a common bond in conversations that you have? Yeah, I think there's 
is again if you if you want to be a bit extreme there's really two sides of that there's there's the ones that realize it <laughs> and then <laughs> and then you have the ones that definitely have not right that yeah. that you speak some sometimes i speak to uh, to um, different stakeholders or, or um, potential customers and and they have no idea what I'm talking about, uh, or, or uh, you know, we we are firefighting. We're, mm. you know, we have uh, chaos in Shanghai and and uh, war in the Ukraine, and you know, we're just buying product. We're just trying to make things work. Um, and then you have others that realize, yes, we have that, and this is actually making it, putting it even more on the agenda for us that we need to. To, we need to be able to deal with this more smartly. We need to work more strategically. We need to automate our processes. But again, I think it's really kind of Stone Age or progressive, if if I want to put yeah. it a bit more extreme. Uh, so some are getting it. More people are getting it. Uh, but there's, I think, there's still the vast majority that that are probably not getting it. Uh, if, if yeah, that that's my experience. Um, that that it's more cost out, cost out. How can we get cost out okay. in the book? You know, cost out is so. It's always cost out, and then some are starting to talk about. Okay, we actually need you know innovation. We need tools to innovation. We need carb. We need to understand our carbon footprint. We need tools to that. But most of the time, uh, it is how can we get cost out? Yeah. Still. Yeah. Now, when you think about the challenges being faced by this whole range or these two groups of, of organizations, what would you say are the most common pain points that sourcing organizations are trying to address and that truthfully they really need to solve for before they can either move to the next rung on that maturity, that evolutionary ladder, or before they can actually start to truly prosper as a team? Yeah, yeah. I think you could put it into kind of three overall buckets at least in my experience and and the first one would be uh, fragmented process and, and technology you know that that um, you you need to uh, create more productivity automate uh, and integrate uh, that would be kind of one bucket uh, of a pain point the other one being this um, kind of operative short-term focus uh, where where you need to look up and maybe have a bit more long-term uh, strategic focus you know take one step back and and think about how do you really create value uh, your how does your procurement function really create value and work uh, more strategically and the last the third bucket would be um, a kind of a fragmented procurement skill set um, I think especially in relation to digital procurement and processes uh, I think those would be kind of the the three overall um, pain point buckets that that i see in my in my experience and and those are the ones that you would need to deal with uh in order to prosper i think well and i it's interesting because when i i look at those um the the fragmented technology in some ways the explosion of solutions is a little bit making that worse right because so the, the prevailing thought right now seems to be you either do a wide ranging platform or you do sort of a best of breed ecosystem. And if you're doing a best of breed ecosystem, you have to make sure that all of those spot solutions are integrated by either, you know, an interface at the entry end or a data layer underneath or potentially both. Um, but if you get too distracted by all of these little spot solutions, you're actually trying to solve a problem, but unintentionally fragmenting it further. 
Um, the procurement skill set, that's an interesting one for me too. And, and one of the things that, ironically, I hadn't thought about asking you in advance, but it's sort of the obvious question, is there have been a lot of conversations about the role of category expertise and how that fits in in-house procurement talent. You know, there are some companies, especially if they have very large procurement teams, that will not for every category, but for a certain range of critical core categories, have in-house experts in fuel, in marketing, in certain types of commodities or, or materials. And then there are other procurement organizations that are either smaller or leaner, that are more process and philosophy focused, that will partner with external category experts and subject matter experts when they need that expertise. And then they just kind of run point on the process and, and working with the organization. What are your thoughts around you know, where category expertise needs to live from a procurement talent standpoint? I My... My take on that is that I'm a huge believer of uh, 80-20, right? That 20% of input or 20% of, of knowledge will, will uh, create 80% uh, of the value. And I think applying that, so, so if, if you have people that have dedicated time to tactical and strategic work, uh, that will help to, to work more strategically and that have, you know, an okay foundation uh, education and they can think strategically, uh, then I think you can get really, really far. And and over time, they will also, you know, category managers will, will relatively quick, quickly get to know their category. Uh, I think they just need to take the time to mm -hmm. work strategically. And at times, and in certain situations, yeah, you probably need the real the real specific uh, knowledge uh, it really depends on the industry if mm -hmm. it's production or, or wholesale i think but i think more it's actually a matter of how you organize uh, how, how you look at your organization making sure that you have people that work that are, are defined roles towards tactical and strategic work and i think that that also ties into your first uh, consideration there with regards to all these different solutions out there. I, I don't necessarily see that as a problem. And uh, what you need to think about is, is this solution, is it geared towards tactical work? Uh, is it geared towards strategic or operational work? If it's geared towards operational work, then I would definitely look at how do I automate and integrate? Because it's it should be uh, well-defined tasks that you can run that way. But if it's geared more towards tactical and strategic work, I would be less concerned about integration, more concerned about easy to use uh, to use tools. Uh, to be honest, that's how I look at that. I think that's an interesting way to divide up both the the tech and the talent. Of course, it makes sense for that approach to be aligned between the two. Because I feel like, you know, we I started kind of by talking about the tension that exists in procurement between sort of the old ways and what we're all aiming to move towards. There's always been this sense of, and I'll say right up front, you've said some provocative stuff. This will be my sort of provocative. This is my opinion. There's been a little bit of a sense of embarrassment, I think, on the part of procurement around tasks and even processes that we view as tactical. There's been sort of this sense of like, oh, that's very 
manual, that's very tactical, it's operational, and we're embarrassed that that's part of our scope of responsibility. And so we have a tendency to like, well, I'm going to you know, tuck that in a drawer when somebody comes by or put something on top of it so no one sees it, when in fact, really embracing it and being purposeful about the way it's addressed, that's because those things do need to happen. Every function in the enterprise has tactical work that they need to do. And yes, the strategic work is the really exciting stuff. And it's what the CEO wants to talk to you about. And it's what the CFO wants to ask you about. But we do need to acknowledge the reality that both types of work do exist and they both need to be done well if at the end of the day, procurement's results are going to meet expectations. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you. I, w- I would even build on that and go further and say that and uh, let's 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 continue the pro- provocations here, right? <laughs> You're going to see so, my provocation and raise me. Okay, I'm ready. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so strategic sourcing uh, is it strategic or is it tactical? Yeah. See, I uh, agree with so, you on this. Yeah, yeah. So, so I would say to be to work with strategic uh, strategically, that is, you know, understanding the market, market dynamics, disruptors you know, vision and, and, you know, making a SWOT analysis and, and looking at Porter's five forces and working with category strategies. That's what I see as strategic. But, uh, but um, strategic sourcing, I see it actually more as, as tactical, uh, that, that you're executing on procurement optimization projects, that's an outcome of a strategic process. Uh, so so I, think, I think most of us do tactical work and and hey it's actually that work that creates the value right yeah <laughs> uh, if, if you have the right strategy so, no. so there's nothing it's all good right that's yeah. funny and and i totally agree with you about that i think strategic sourcing was strategic in its formulation it was strategic in its definition and certainly in some ways how you implement it and that's not to say that no one focused on strategic sourcing is strategic, right? There are incredibly strategic people using sort of the spirit of the process. But if you're using your five, six, seven, eight step sourcing process and checking things off as you go, that's a tactical process. Doesn't matter what you call it, right? And and yet it that is what delivers the results. So if we think Practically, we, we've talked a lot about sort of vision and perspective and a little bit of philosophy. And um, I'm, I'm glad you're willing to come with me, Patrick, on being provocative, because I think that's important. Those are the ideas that drive change. But if we turn practical for a second, what types of enablers, right? At Art of Procurement, we like to talk about taking action. What mm. types of practical enablers would you recommend that procurement teams embrace in order to start a paradigm shift within their team, in the team's mindset, in the team's approach, and something that once it takes root can then sort of radiate out through their work into the organization. Yeah, yeah. I mean, th- there's various answers to this. There's the classic, you know, find some quick wins and, and market them to the organization and so forth. But but I would say you can look at it from different points of view. So one of them would be looking at it, looking at your organization again, dividing it to this operative, tactical and strategic roles that we talked about, because then you're earmarking products and time uh, roles and, and uh, people and time towards uh, strategic work, because otherwise, uh, if you don't divide it, mm-hmm. the operative work and the firefighting is always going to push, push out the tactical and strategic work. Uh, but if you're too strict with that division, then you might also create in 
internal uh, issues because uh, if you do it do it on too high level you get touch point and process issues so you need to do that at the right level but that would be one of the first things looking at the organization and dividing it into those three areas the, uh, different roles i think um if you look at processes here i think there's lots to do here um and and i would identify kind of the, the most heavy and value-destructing processes that can easily be improved first. Um, and, and the most problematic ones is typically in a larger organization, the ones that goes across silos. silos. They would be, typically they're good candidates for being right-sized, deleted, you know, killed or, or improved mm-hmm. because you might not know, you know, you might actually have three people doing some of the same things in three, three different silos. So, so looking at those processes and maybe considering and and carefully considering uh, establishing kind of process owners and cross-functional teams but i would be careful because there you could also get you know a lot of uh, coffee discussions and and a lot of process discussions so so maybe start with one process assign one process owner uh, and one cross-functional team and have a high level person follow that and see what value it creates and build from there not go over you know overboard to start with and then the classic one, you know, uh, uh, RPA, robot process yeah. automation, look look at some some classic operational tasks and um, start to automate those. So those would be two, you know, within organization and processes. Uh, and I think with it regards to people and skills uh, to create there, you should create some because it's not only about skills, it's also about motivation. So so get that's half of it. Right. So getting executive support to, you know, Run, run an e-auction live in front of 100 people that you know is going to be successful and uh, and save, you know, 40% on the screen, have somebody comment on it and, and market it internally, right? Then then you create a, a good spirit to, to work more with digital procurement or e-auctions, for example, and then hire team players. And, and I think with regards to training, tailor-make it. Don't, don't accept standard out-of-the-box training from consultancies uh, because because people that that yeah tailor make it i think uh, i think that's important so that would be uh, some practical yeah. things and i think um, with regards to tools um, you know start with user friendly ones half of the work is change management but but it also ties into having user friendly intuitive tools so think kind of iphone or facebook ish right it needs to be very simple to use i think and don't build a moon rocket, you know, go for <laughs> tech. Yeah, but that's the classic, you know, you yeah. you go for moon rockets and you have to solve everything. Everything has to be integrated. No, 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 no. Start small, right? Uh, and and uh, think Pareto, this 2080 yeah. rule. And practically, many organizations today still don't have the spend overview, right? It's a good place to start. Uh, they don't have, you know, having a contract overview. And maybe an overview of your category strategies. Uh, so, so build those overviews and do it simply. You know, you don't need to start with contract uh, creation. Just get the overview first, um, I guess. So those are some of the the key. You know, the the, the things that I write about also in, in this white paper. Yeah. Um, and then the last part I think is KPIs. You know, you get what you measure. So start simple again. Start with number of e-sourcing events, number of e-auctions, or, or you know, uh, a gross margin measurement. Just start simply, and then go towards more holistic 
KPIs uh, slowly but surely, where you based on activity based costing, you know, you divide fixed and variable costs if it's a wholesale situation at least, uh, and and then you can start to to draw insights on that. So those are some of kind of the the practical enablers that that I uh, that I touch also in this in this white paper, um, and it's based on just my experience within within wholesale, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I think there's a, a ton there. Um, and two things that I jotted down that are of particular interest to me. One is this idea of value destructing processes. I think that's a really interesting idea because so often we think about, okay, you know, we work through this process and what do we have at the end? Or, you know, what does it create? Does it create what we expected? But the idea that a process could actually destruct value and that you could end up at the end of the process with less than you started with, I think that's a compelling idea. That's something that people should be, as they review their processes, right, as they kind of start this journey towards being more mature, I think that's an excellent thing to be on the lookout for. And the other thing is this idea of, yes, looking at skills and knowledge and, and capabilities. I mean, I think how effective we are maybe is is questionable, but, you know, we certainly know to be focusing on the the talent leg of that of that three-legged stool but remembering to include motivation. Um, I've been a part of some of those sort of theatrical auctions like you described where it's a legitimate event, but you're being strategic about it internally and you're bringing the right people together and you sort of set up like a war room kind of feel. I think those are the types of things that procurement has to remember. It's not just enough to do the work and deliver the results and be effective, that there are so many things going on in organizations today. We have to make sure people have the opportunity to see what we're able to do. And I think that's an excellent example um, of an opportunity to pull people in and show them and then give them a feeling, right? Because you do, there's an excitement, there's a little bit of nervous tension that, that comes with an auction and, and things happen. And certainly it raises the stakes if you're bringing executives in to watch. So you have to be ready. Yeah, I think those are some really good. Um, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, just to, to continue that one yeah. on, on processes, I have one example from, um, from a business that I worked in a few years ago. Just, you know, getting products into the product catalog, like practically getting information from a supplier and getting it into your product catalog. catalog. Uh, I remember we worked with, you know, a huge Excel document, huge amount of metadata and it took ages just to get that information in the supplier didn't know how to fill it in and and you had to go back and forth and at the end of the day you didn't need all that information for all products and all product categories and it kind of annoyed the suppliers going back and forth so it was quite of a heavy process so yeah. that would be an example yeah. of you know almost almost actually value destructing uh, I, I think with with regards to uh, to processes so i think that's a really really good point that that's something to, to look at. And, and you also mentioned, e, you know, doing this live e-auction event, a classic is that you you do an assessment of which categories are suitable for e-auctions, right? You look at, okay, here's a competitive supplier base. I can specify products here and it's commercially attractive to the, to the suppliers. Yes, good, let's do an e-auction. We can do e-auctions here. But then you might actually forget, well, yeah, but what's the internal? That's right. <laughs> do I have... Do I have internals? Yeah, you need to put that internal filter on as well, as you say, and say, okay, well, actually, the category manager in this category, he's, you know, 
it's not going to like this or, or tried it before and it was not a success and and then you need to think about how you do that whole people side of things right so so i think it's absolute you know you got motivation and you got skills for sure now patrick as we start to wind down our time I want to put in front of you a question, and I'm going to tell you right up front that if you're interested in continuing our theme of being provocative, we absolutely welcome that. Um, but this is a question that I ask everyone that joins me on The Sourcing Hero, and you have two different options. One is, how would you define the idea of a sourcing hero? And the other option is, how would you define or recognize heroism in a business context? Which of those would you like to answer and what would you say? Mm, that's a good question. I, I think let's go for the, you know, for this uh, heroism part, uh, I think. Let's, let's do that one. So, so looking at, you know, being a hero in, in a business, I think that it's about attitude, you know, tying into skills and motivation. I think you, the real heroes, they, they might not be one on, you know, the absolute best at, at what they do necessarily. They can be, but, but they're really good at motivating and getting, and getting the team going and getting pe people going towards a common target. I mm -hmm. think those, that, that's how I see a, 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 a real hero that, that actually acts as, you know, cohesiveness as a glue. That's how I would define a, a, a real hero in a business, I think. And that is a deceptively difficult thing to do, <laughs> to get people to be cohesive. Is is Sounds like, well, yeah, of course, we want everybody pulling in the same direction. Yes, well, have you met everybody? That is not that is not an easy thing to to facilitate. So I think that I think that's a, a great answer. Um, now, Patrick, if people that have listened in today have enjoyed your ideas and perspective, truthfully, as, as much as I have, what would you recommend in terms of the best way for people to reach out and connect with you or get in touch? You can reach me, you know, the classic LinkedIn. Uh, you can go to my website, digiprocure.ai, uh, or contact me that way or, or over LinkedIn. I think that's uh, probably the best way to get a hold of me. I'm, I'm happy to have a conversation. Excellent. Well, Patrick, thank you so much for being here with me today. And thanks a million to you also, uh, Kelly. I really enjoyed that conversation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sourcing Hero podcast. Join us again next time for more true stories of sourcing and business heroism performed by your colleagues and peers. Look for the Sourcing Hero wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe. Finally, don't forget... Sourcing heroism is taking place all around us every day. Keep your eyes open and you're bound to see it. Until next time, I'm your host, Kelly Barner. Stay well and always remember that you can be a hero too.